In New York City, unvaccinated parents still can't attend school sporting events. They can go watch the Nets with 20,000 people, but they cannot go to their freshman in high school, their kids' basketball game. Knock the door down to ask yeah. and demand to be able to, you know, there are still some cities and, and towns where parent-teacher conferences aren't in person. How lunatic is that? Because it's too dangerous. Tell them you demand to have it in person. Hey, Joyful Warriors, this is Tiffany Justice with Moms for Liberty, and I'm excited to have two fellow Warriors for Kids on the Joyful Warrior podcast today. That is Daniel Kotzen and Jennifer Say, husband and wife, parents to four kids and champions uh, for our children during the time of COVID. I met Daniel and Jennifer on Twitter, uh, where I met a lot of people during COVID when we were very frustrated about what was happening with our children across the country, the closure of schools, the mental health we were seeing are declining in our kids. And I was so impressed with um, how bold and brave they were in speaking out. Um, so welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast today. Jennifer, you have become very well known now because you wrote a book called Levi's Unbuttoned, where you chronicle how you were basically forced out of your position of at Levi's, a senior position uh, for speaking out about kids. And Daniel, you were never shy about speaking out for kids. And I loved that because in a time where it seemed like there were a lot of moms speaking out, uh, there weren't a ton of dads. You were out there at the forefront really advocating for your kids and their health and safety, uh, real health and safety, right? So I'm just going to read a poem quickly, Jennifer, that I uh, someone shared. And when I heard it, I thought of you and I thought it would be a good way to start off this podcast. It was called Unstoppable. Unstoppable, they called her, but I saw her stop. I saw her stop many, many times. Sometimes I thought she had stopped for good, but no, she always found a way to resurrect, to rise again, not the same, never the same, each time a little more determined and a little less vulnerable. Unstoppable, they said, but I think it was in the stopping that she found her power. So welcome, and I'm so excited to talk to you both today. I know, Jennifer, but you know what? Our moms are facing what you faced all over the country still. And so tell us about your journey uh, and, and together and, and then in your position with Levi's and, and what that's been like for you. Sure, I can start. Um, <laughs> Daniel and I, um, we used to live in San Francisco. Um, and all you need to know is it is 96% Democrat, I think. <laughs> um, it is a liberal bastion. We would have considered ourselves very much of that community and we loved it there. Uh, I had worked at, well, ultimately, I ended up working at Levi's close to 23 years. I mean, I had spent the better part of my professional life there, most of my adult life. Um, but right in the beginning, in March 2020, even before, Daniel and I were both very alarmed by the restrictions placed on children, not just closed schools, but closed playgrounds. Playgrounds were closed for nearly nine months in San Francisco, um, there's nowhere for kids to play in the city. If you don't have playgrounds open, there's no yards, nothing, uh, masking of children, all this stuff. And I was very outspoken from the beginning, as was Daniel, as you mentioned. And Daniel was less restrained than I was. <laughs> I was restrained both because of my job. Um, and I just have a different way of communicating. You know, I think women in the corporate world learn that. 
and I really believed, even though I knew that what I was saying was controversial, that it was so sort of backed by data and common sense that eventually I could break through and, you know, get people to see it. And boy, was I wrong. Um, about six months into my outspokenness, which was not just tweeting, you know, I was writing op-eds and talking to folks like you and trying to figure out what we could do, going to school board meetings and local news and all this. Um, But I started to get kind of talked to, spoken to. And I was... um, I was the chief marketing officer for eight years and was promoted to brand president during this time. So, you know, I was a long-tenured, well-liked employee and in a position to become the first female CEO at the company. Um, But from the time they started to speak to me in September of 2020, for the next year and a half, it was, you need to stop when you speak. You speak on behalf of the company. And I would say, no, I don't. I'm just a mom. I don't use my title. Your kids are in school. They're in private school. Why can't I advocate for the same for the public school children in San Francisco? Every time it was a difficult conversation, but I held my ground. Um, But then eventually in January of 22, I was told basically based on that position that there was not a place for me at the company anymore. And rather than um, take their hush money, they offered me a million dollars, which would come with the signing of a non-disclosure agreement. I decided to quit very publicly instead and talk about the censorship, essentially, um, that's happening in America's institutions, corporate America, which hasn't been spoken about as much. You know, we, we hear a lot about it on university campuses, but, um, I mean, essentially, I was pushed out the door because I didn't uphold the Democratic Party dogma. It's insane. We all know now schools being closed was horrible for kids. Um, But no one on the left is willing to kind of own the mistake. And they're the ones who made it. So. Oh, that's it. Yeah, no, thank, no, thank you. Well, and I, and I say, and I want to hear your story, and I, and I want you to talk a little bit later, if you can, about just some advice for people that are struggling with this in their own workplace, because it is happening all over the country. Moms and dads are still speaking out. They're talking about literacy rates. They're talking about uh, violence they're seeing in the schools or concerns about a lot of the different um, ideology that has entered their classroom, and they are being targeted. And I just have this opinion that you know, parents should be able to express themselves and ask lots of questions about their children's education. And they should never be vilified for that. We should be welcoming their engagement and their questions. And so you're right about Twitter, though. Daniel was very outspoken on Twitter. He was my favorite person on Twitter because he just would cut through the baloney. I remember seeing pictures of the taped up playgrounds, Daniel, in San Francisco. So take us, let's go back to 2020 um, and you know, when sure. I, I always think of March as kind of the month where everything yeah. kind of just shut down. Right. So it how was. old were your kids? What was that like for you? Let's see. The youngest ones were three and five. And then our oldest was a student at university of California, Berkeley. So they shut the university. He came home. And then our second oldest was a high schooler. So we had all the ages. Um, the suffering of university students is, um, not talked about quite as much as younger children, but I think they suffer just as much and they continue to. Um, Probably the majority of people in the United States that are required to be vaccinated are university students right now. Um, Many of them, um, it's it's just outrageous. No one considered their needs at all. Um, We did have some moms advocating for the younger children. I, I still, no one is talking about what happened to the university students. 
Our oldest basically didn't get to go to college. Three of his four years at university were impacted. Um, so I don't know how that generation is going to recover. Um, going back to your question in the beginning, I felt like I was losing my mind before other people did. Um, California was the first state to have a lockdown, and San Francisco was the first city to have a lockdown. But even before that, I don't know if people remember, before there were lockdowns, their schools were shut down first. Mm -hmm. And I knew already when they shut down the schools, I sort of saw it. I saw that if they shut down the schools, they were going to have to do a full lockdown. They claimed, oh, it's just the schools. Well, where, where, who's going to watch the kids when they're at home? And when they said it was for two weeks, I knew they weren't going to open them again. There were no cases yet. No one had COVID. And there were people forget in the beginning, they said everyone is going to get it. Gavin Newsom came and he said 70% of the people in California are going to get COVID in the next eight weeks, regardless of what we do. We're just staying home to flatten the curve. Two months passed. Almost no one in California got COVID. And everyone just accepted that we would stay locked down basically forever. So I really like your phrase, joyful warrior. I've been thinking about that. I'm going to try and incorporate that. I like to think of myself as an angry warrior, but that's not necessary. The, the important part is being a warrior and, yeah. and fighting for what we believe in and what we think is true. Being angry, that's what I was just thinking about, gives them a win. They're controlling my emotions and my feelings. Just because I am... Um, think that what's happening is not acceptable and I'm going to fight against it as hard as I can doesn't mean I need to be angry all the time. So I really thank you for, for getting me thinking about that joyful warrior. Do you know phrase. what, it's Daniel? Really... Thank you for that mm -hmm. because it was born out of being a mom. I was getting really angry. Uh, I was very angry at what was happening to the kids. My own kids were six, are six, were 16 uh, and younger, four kids. And um, I watched as my daughter fell into a depression that I couldn't, I, I didn't know what to do. And there was no resources to help her. And so rather than be angry all the time, because you and I know, we know your kids yeah. are watching you. I didn't want exactly. them to remember me angry, but I did want them to remember me fighting. And boy, fighting. did you yes. fight. So you just started calling people out, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, yeah. I really, I couldn't understand what people were thinking. I did feel like everyone around me had lost their mind. And as Jen was saying, they, they closed the outdoor playgrounds. They literally wanted children to stay inside month after month and not leave their home. I don't know how anyone thinks that that serves yeah. the public health of anyone. It was, it was hard to comprehend. And so that's what I just tried to do what I could, which was taking pictures to photograph it. And I think we'll come back to them in future years. I have a yes. lot of photographs. We went, I went every day. I took the three and the five-year-old out. I took them to a playground. We stayed until our neighbors called the police. Every day, someone snitched on us, called the police. The police came and told us that we had to leave. That was, just, that was a daily occurrence. It was a police state. Yeah, I just shared a photo yesterday um, that I came across from October 2020. So playgrounds had been closed for seven months. Um, I was there with the kids I was photographing this time and Daniel and the two children had hopped the fence and a police officer is there screaming at him and Daniel's fighting back. Um, what you can't see in the photo, it's at Civic Center in at the Civic Center playground in San Francisco. And for those that don't know, the Civic Center is one of the worst areas in the city in terms of 
Um, I mean, there's open air drug markets, there's, there's uh, drug users just sitting on the street, passed out. I mean, it's like right in front of City Hall. It's insane. So these people are surrounding us, selling and using drugs. We're in a playground, just my husband, me and two children, and the cops come to us to Crazy. force us to leave. And, you know, I don't know in that instance, because I don't recall if somebody called them or not, but there was a special number set up for you to snitch on people violating COVID rules. They had a special number you could text or call to snitch on people. Another time that the police were called on us, it was right after, it was in the summer of 2020, and you were finally allowed outside, but you weren't allowed to mix with other groups. So you could go to the park and sit and have a picnic, this. but not mix households. Well, because of the, you know, I have four children, wide range of age, the older two are mixed race and the younger two are not. We don't look necessarily like one household. Somebody called the police on us that we were mixing households in the park having a picnic. It's so regressive, so ridiculous. Honestly, all of the things that were done. And so you guys stayed in San Francisco. How long did you stay with your, with your kids in San Francisco? A full year. We stayed just under a year. So we left in um, spring of 21. You know, it's challenging because the older two, um, you know, so we're trying to kind of balance the family's needs. But, um, you know, by the spring of 21, it became very clear that the public schools were not going to open in San Francisco. Our, 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 Our third oldest was in kindergarten and had not yet seen the inside of a classroom. Um, and they were even talking about the fact that they might not be ready to open in the fall of 21. Yeah. And so Daniel and I just were like, uh-uh, we got yeah. to get out of here. We don't know where we're going, but we're going to go someplace the schools are open. We got um, Tiffany. Sorry to interrupt, Jen. We <clears throat> left without uh, luggage, checked luggage. We took carry-ons <laughs> and we stayed at an Airbnb. We did not want Oscar to miss his entire year of kindergarten. We moved on February 28th. If we had not moved to Denver then, he would have literally missed kindergarten. He would have never gotten to go. I, I just, that, I, it's astonishing to me that they could, that they could just cancel the, that the whole year. The part that's so gross that I look back on, well, there's so much that's so grotesque. But this idea, you know, you know, Daniel would say things like this, or the fact that when this same child, Oscar, graduated from preschool, that he had gone to since he was two years old, we couldn't have an outdoor graduation for 20 kids with a parent because it was too dangerous. Meanwhile, there's, this is at the same time as there's, you know, thousands and thousands of people protesting in the streets for the Black Lives Matter. It's literally at the same time, but we couldn't have an outdoor. And everyone said, who cares? You're so selfish to want a, a, a graduation for your preschooler. But what is a life but the sum of these milestones? And in a young life, a five-year-old life, there aren't that many. That's where you start to kind of add them up and they all matter. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I think, you know, I'm making a documentary film now about the impact of children. And that's what they all talk about. They all talk about it with such great sadness that they miss graduate, they miss prom, then homecoming, then graduation. And the fact that they had no idea when they would be allowed to do these things, they, they felt right. utterly hopeless because yep. it just kept, you know, they kept kicking the can down the road, the, the, the requirement, the guideline, whatever it was kept changing. So you're a child that's a senior in high school, you miss every milestone. Now you're told to go to college, you can't even socialize, you have to sit in your room and eat your like, they saw no end in sight. And we know is when you're a kid, you can't see your way 
past that. There's just, right. you're left with no hope. And too many children were left with no hope. I mean, they just were utterly despairing, which is why we saw and are seeing the mental health impacts that we're seeing, um, you know, which you spoke about with your daughter. And I've certainly observed through our subjects in the film. I mean, you can't, you can't ask a child to live that way. And then on top of that, call them a horrible, selfish person if they're sad right. about it. Right. No, a hundred percent. My So I have with the four kids, my youngest didn't really get me. I wasn't able to volunteer in the school. I wasn't. So he was missing all of this stuff. And, you know, he's like, you used to come in and volunteer in the class and you, you know, he won an award and they weren't going to let the parents in to see the award. And he was like, mom, you've come, you always come for all the awards. Why can't you come for mine? And so it was just awful. And, you know, he was little, he was, you know, just a little, a little boy, you know, second grade. So <clears throat> Um, of course, really matter. hard All to explain hypocrisy. To, yeah, well, and children don't understand the hypocrisy of it. They just, you know, they don't get in. You're right. One, I think adults forgot that going from 12 to 13 was different than turning going from 32 to 33. That a year of a child's right. life means more and 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 is more impactful because of the, uh, because they're a child than in an adult. So Daniel, we had such a lack of dad speaking out. I'm not going to lie. Like in yeah. the beginning, it was so many moms. Moms were like, this is immediately. I, I mean, first of all, I think there's something to be said for a group of people across this country who immediately, when schools were closed and this happened, said, oh, this isn't good. I remember standing yes. in the school district office when they told us that schools were going to be closed. It was March 13th, 2020. And I just remember having this sinking feeling in my stomach, like this is very very bad. And then Tina, who I co-founded Moms for Liberty with, will say she had that same, just very visceral reaction. I mean, just pit of your stomach. This is very, very bad. And so you're saying that you guys did. Don't you see that a little bit? It seems like there were some people who just the light bulb went off very quickly. Why do you attribute that to Daniel? I don't know. That's a good question. In truth, there were very few such people. Um, if you think back to the time period you're talking about, in late March, there was almost no opposition to lockdowns at all, at least publicly. I don't know what people were thinking about privately. Um, this is a story I like to tell. I'd been trying to agitate in March and April, and I kept thinking, where are the other people? Can we be alone? There must be other people that don't like lockdowns. And then somehow I saw a posting for an anti-lockdown rally, which they had in Sacramento and in San Francisco on May 1st, 2020. It was the first anti-lockdown rally that I know of. And um, Jen didn't go because she didn't want to get in trouble at work. I went with my two kids and my dog. We were excited. It was like an activity for the day since there was nothing to do. I was carrying a banner saying schools are essential. That's what I was marching for. Um, we were. I was led to believe that everyone else that would be there would be a hard uh, right-wing Trump supporters. Supposedly only Trumpers were against it. I showed up at the rally. There were no Trump supporters there. There were no Democrats there. The only other people there were confirmed anti-vaxxers, who at really? the time I did not particularly want to be associated with. I feel very differently about them now because they were right about everything. But that was it. It was me and 50 anti-vaxxers. That was the anti-lockdown rally. No one else came. No one else was willing to publicly oppose the lockdowns. And at, this is a little bit off the topic, but I started paying attention then to what the anti-vaxxers had to say. Yeah. Their banner was health freedom now. And I was confused. I said, guys, 
we're here to protest lockdowns. Why? You're, you're, you're talking about vaccines and health freedom. This is a lockdown. And they said, you don't understand. The lockdown is just a setup. They're going to soon, they're going to give us a vaccine. They're going to vac- say that the vaccine is the only way to save us. The vaccine is going to be unsafe and ineffective. And they were totally correct. They basically laid out for me, Tiffany, what's going to happen. And their next phase, they said, was vaccine passports and digital IDs and a social credit score. And they said, that's it. It's health freedom. That's what we're here for. And they were right. No doubt. Um, I I think it's really interesting. Well, it has been interesting to learn. A lot of the moms that joined us early on were moms whose children had had an adverse reaction to a vaccine early in their lives. So that they had kind of gained an awareness that, you know, I didn't have as a mom who you know, I went through the normal vaccine schedule. I didn't think a lot about it. You know, I trusted my pediatrician. And so, but these moms were saying, no, there's something here. You need to be worried. I feel the same way about the homeschool moms with a lot of the ideology in the schools, Yes, you know, where it's like they, the canary in the coal mine, they knew they were telling you something was up and that we needed to pay attention. So then Daniel, dads, men speaking out on behalf of children. Uh, I'm married. My husband's a great guy. Um, But it seems like in our country, it's kind of been left to the moms to a degree. I think it's changing, but to speak on behalf of kids. But you didn't let any of that stop you. You were like right out there, you know, and I remember you showing pictures of the kids once you moved to Denver and their life got to be a little more normal. um, You know, you guys were celebrating that. I remember, Daniel, you saying like, this is the way that life should be. But everything wasn't perfect in Denver either, was it? I mean, there there ended up being some issues. Denver was a disappointment. We, we, it just shows how, how crazy everything is. So besides Oscar, we also had our three-year-old daughter. And in San Francisco, she was required to wear a mask at preschool. They were big on masking. They were early adopters. We got her in a, a preschool in Denver. They'd never worn a mask. We're a year into the pandemic. All of a sudden, Denver Public Health says they have to wear masks in the preschools. One year into the pandemic, yes. they decided. And... We faced a difficult choice that a lot of families faced then. I mean, we we sent Oscar to school in a mask to kindergarten, and we sent our our three-year-old daughter to preschool in a mask. For for our children and our family, that was the best choice. But I have nothing but respect. I have people I know that said, my child is never going to wear a mask. If they have to wear them to school, they're not going to school. And and everyone did what they had to do um, to help themselves and their family and their kids get through. Um, I think... Jen and I are opposed to child masking as much as anyone else out there, and we have been from the beginning. But nonetheless, we, we sent our kids to school and mask because that was the best option we you thought for to, them at the time. Yeah, and you have to understand, as disappointing as that was, and of course when we first got her into the preschool and there was no masking, we were really happy. And not only was there no masking, but there was no distancing. I mean, the teachers right. were so affectionate. You know, these are three-year-olds. They're hugging the kids. And then suddenly in the summer of 21, it kind of shifted but you have to understand the relativity of where we came from, right? So to us, we were willing to accept this, which looking back now, of course, was unacceptable, but it was so much better than what we were accustomed to in San Francisco, which is incredibly unfortunate and a demonstration or an illustration of what we're willing to accept. It's like this drip, drip over time and this loss of um, community and individual freedoms. And, and if it happened slowly, it then happens all at once, you know? And, right. but it was like, it was just like amazing compared to San Francisco. So sure. you know, we were grateful for that. I, in answer to your, you know, Daniel and I talk about this a lot. Like what is it that sets 
those apart who saw it from the beginning. And I, I don't, I, I think about this constantly, <laughs> um, you know, and I had done it once before in my life, you know, been first to speak up um, when it came to, you know, my outspokenness about, it was a much smaller, narrower community, but it was in, you know, within gymnastics, I was the first real athlete that spoke out about the abuse of culture and the sport, emotional, physical, um, and sexual abuse. And, you know, that seems to be widely understood and accepted now. But I will tell you in 2008, when I said it, that was not the case. So that was my right. first dragging across the internet. I was sort of mini canceled, um, threatened with violence and lawsuits and all this stuff. And, you know, I carried that with me as I started this, because, you know, what happened there was after 10 years, people did come around. And I thought, if I just speak the truth, they will come around. Now that yes. took a decade. So what are we two or three years into this? <laughs> or, you know, yeah, um, we're getting there. Though. There, yeah, there's this, I think it, there's this combination of factors. You know, I think you have to be curious and open and not so tribal that you are blinded to facts. But the second piece of it, it you have to be willing to talk to people who aren't on your team, you know, on your side, you have to right. be willing to read and explore and be curious about the actual data, not just the headline that NPR is feeding you. But there's this last piece with it, which is once you see it, you actually have to be willing to stand apart yes. from your tribe, from your party, from your family and friends. And I think there's a large group of people that could see it or were open to questioning, but we're not willing to take that last step. They just were not willing to do it because you know what? It stinks. It's terrible. <laughs> You've yeah, been through it. Hard. I've been through it. Um, you know, I don't have a job because of it. I worked in this company for 23 years. I loved working there. Um, but, you know, and it, to sort of start to answer the, the question you teed up in the beginning, what do you tell your members? I tell people do one small thing every day because if you don't, do it. They don't know. And they think there's that 50 or 60% that perhaps have questions, but won't say anything. They think we all that that's how they manufacture this consensus by right. keeping everybody else silent. And so you just have to ask the questions every single day and in your own way, you know, in New York City, unvaccinated parents still can't attend school sporting events. They yeah. can go watch the Nets with 20,000 people but they cannot go to their freshman in high school, their kids' basketball game. Knock the door down to ask yeah. and demand to be able to, you know, there are still some cities and, and towns where parent-teacher conferences aren't in person. How lunatic is that? Because it's too dangerous. Tell them you demand to have it in person. Like, if we don't say anything, they think we all agree. And as Daniel says all the time, it's the consent of the governed. You know, if you, you have to not consent, you have to, and you have to put on your kind of big boy pants and get ready for the vilification. But I think we're the majority. I really I'm do. Gonna add, I'm going to add one point. I think the first step is to resist in your head. And I sure. think even that step is a lot of people are, it, it's too difficult for them. It's, they would rather be in the majority than be right. So they modify their own thoughts to meet whatever propaganda they're being fed. So what I would tell the listeners is, you control your own mind. It's the one thing you always control. You control your thoughts, you control your beliefs. And start by thinking through what you believe yourself and then try and live with integrity. 
because if you sort out your own thoughts and you try and live with integrity, the next steps will, will appear and you'll know what to do. And you'll know what you're capable of doing. As Jen says, not everyone, I don't mind if I'm in a room and everyone in it hates me. Most people don't. That's a very unpleasant experience for them. They don't want it. They don't, don't like, like it. it I, I understand. It doesn't but bother everyone, me. You, but yeah. I, yeah. yeah. At this I'm point, I take Daniel. pride in it. I mean, yeah. I look around. I'm like, I'm yeah. I keep thinking of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's famous line. I welcome their hatred. Yeah. I, I mean, it's uh, honestly. Um, but you do have to screw up your courage a little bit. Not everybody feels that way. And, you know, I, you know every time it was every two weeks for two years one of my peers or my boss would call me and say, you can't say these things. You have to take this tweet down. You can't say that it's unethical for doctors to say they aren't going to treat the unvaccinated. Really? I can't say that? It's completely unethical. Um, and every time I had to stand my ground, every single time I had, because I could have easily said, okay, I'll stop. You know, I could have given in, but I, but I couldn't. I couldn't. And in my own quiet way, I didn't yell. I didn't scream. I was not angry. I just basically said, no, thank you. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I have to ask that. you a question about that. I, I do want to ask a question because I've watched some of the different interviews that you've done. And now you've talked about your time at Levi's and how you guys kind of had, is it progress through profits? Was there some idea of the fact that, it, what was that? The phrase is profits through principles. And I believe the first one to use it was Robert Haas, who is a descendant of Levi Strauss and was the longtime CEO, was a longtime CEO, last family member that was a CEO. And he actually really lived it. I, I mean, I have a ton of respect for him, but he's the last one that did. Yeah, because it's interesting because as we've seen corporate America kind of, you know, glom onto these different issues, right? And, and yet here we have this issue that's affecting our children. The parents know they're being hurt. You're trying to speak out about it. What made this issue different for Levi's or for other corporations than all of these other different issues that, you know, different companies have engaged upon and kind of, you know, put their you know, profits through principles, that idea? Yeah. And I mean, the profits through principles thing was started as a way to sort of do business ethically, you know, an ethical supply chain. Like, yeah, right. I'm on board with that. That makes a ton of sense to me, right? Um, you know what the difference is? That closed mm. school policies were the policy of the left. Yeah. That's the difference. That was the woke stance. That was the left stance. It was blue states and cities that one year into COVID were still closed and extremely disrupted. Um, it, it became the policy of the left. Why is hard to say. Was it because Trump said the schools need to open in, in the summer of 2020? That's a part of it. That's not the whole thing. Was right. it the teachers unions? That was certainly a part of it. But it became the stance of the left. And that's the difference. Because the, the, the stances that these companies take around, you know, whatever, their values, whether it's women's equality or LGBTQ equality. And I'm not saying those things don't matter. I'm all for women's equality. Um, arguably, some of the gender ideology and trans ideology flies in the face of gender equality, but that's a discussion for another day. Yes. Um, they are all yes. the purview of the left. Those mm -hmm. are the stances that these companies are taking. So how do we I get would just clarify that, to call yeah. it's the it's the instead of calling it the left, I would call it the Democratic Party. They're taking the they're not um, faithful to any principles of left wing politics. 
they're faithful to the orders of the Democratic Party. Well, and this was clear from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that is so bizarre about this, right? And I wasn't saying to the company, you should take a stand on schools, like stay out of it, but let me, I mean, do it, like, let me talk about it as a public school mom. Why shouldn't I be able to? And concurrently in the summer of 2020, amidst all the Black Lives Matter protests, Levi's was making and taking all kinds of stances around you know, pledging to fight inequality and standing for equality and and all of these things. And no one here on this call disagrees that equality is important. The question is, how do we achieve it? And it's not the same as equity in terms of equality. equality. They don't care. That's my point, Daniel, is that it's all it's all a show. That's what it's what I call woke capitalism. It's it's a show. They are trying to co-opt the activism of Gen Z's and millennials, younger consumers who buy more and spend more, for the most part, in most categories, to make them like them, right? They're trying to say, we share your values, and you should buy our stuff because we share your values. That's what they're trying to do. And that was the cohort, at least in, you know, majority blue areas that were very pro lockdown and very pro closure. So, you know, Daniel's right. It's, um, and, you know, it's it's completely hypocritical. You know, why, yeah. why on earth? And that's what was driving me crazy. There is nothing that is more structurally inequitable than closing public schools. 100%. 100%. They, they don't care about the... It became clear to me, I announced in April 2020, after a lifetime as a Democrat, that I would never vote for the Democratic Party again. It was already clear then. They were all in. The lockdowns were ordered by the Democratic governors... Um, the shutdowns, it was the democratic policy to lock down as hard as possible. And as soon as the masks came, mask as hard as possible. And as soon as the vaccines came to mandate vaccines as hard as possible. That has nothing to do with any political or medical principle. That is pure party politics. The Democrats are doing it to assert power and the people that support it are supporting the democratic party. Everything else is just baloney. Yeah. And the thing that's just so Well, it's not. It's just another illustration of the hypocrisy is it's pro-corporatists, right? Right. It's pro-big pharma, (laughs) like all the things that they sort of claim to say. It's it's pro-discrimination, right? We're discriminating against people who are not vaccinated. It's pro-big pharma. It's pro-all the stuff that... Yeah. It's certainly not inclusive. I mean, just today, or Governor Hochul in New York said she's not rehiring unvaccinated healthcare workers. They have a severe healthcare worker shortage. We know the vaccine doesn't prevent uh, infection or transmission. What reason on? And the court has said you have to, and she's still saying no to just prove how supportive of the vaccine and big pharma she is. Like, how is that well, the Democratic Party po- position? But that's where we are. I think it's entryism. I think really what they've identified is a cohort of people that are willing to stand up against them and they don't want to empower those people. They want to destroy them. So this is the way to do it. Keep them out of the job so that they're not part of the industry. Yes. And, and But my question is this, Jennifer, and to Daniel. These issues are not partisan issues. These are not political partisan issues. Issues about our children and their mental health and well-being. Well, they've been made to be. They Even shouldn't parental, be. They, they shouldn't be. be. Parental rights. I did an interview with Washington Post the other day, and I said, 
when are Democrats, like I've been NPA most of my life. It was until 2016 that I registered as Republican when I ran for office because people said they're going to want to know, people are going to want to know where, do, which party do you feel like right. you identify with? Because it's, it's a nonpartisan race, but they're going to look at your voter registration. And I right. said, well, if I have to pick one or the other, I'm going to pick the Republican Party. But I've never been a, a, a raw, raw party person. I've been very issue focused. And so, you know, but people try to say about Moms for Liberty that we're some right wing organization. We have a lot of moms that are dem- that were Democrats who've come to the same place as you, Daniel, where they're like, I've been a Democrat my whole life. I voted for Obama. I, uh, you know, I supported Democrats, my Democrat governor, Whitmer, whoever it was, I voted for them. And look what they did to us. They destroyed our lives. So how do we in this country push past these issues? So we're talking about parental rights at Moms for Liberty. Where are the Democrat lawmakers that want to support and defend parental rights? Because Democrat parents have parental rights. And I promise there's some line. There is is some line that will get crossed where they're going to want to defend their parental rights and they're going to have given them away. I don't think there is a line. I don't I, I think there is. A, there's no line anymore. They let their children be locked out of school. They let their children be masks on them. To go back to what we were saying before, our kids, they might have seen us angry and things might have been hard. They missed events. Think of the majority of kids in this country. They were told they could go to their preschool graduation because they might kill granny if they go. They were told to stay away from other people because their breath is a dangerous weapon. They were fear of themselves and of others was instilled into these children. I don't think they recover from that. I'm very concerned. How are these children that have been years have been have been fed these lies about covid? How are they supposed to move on from that? I don't agree that there's not a line. I think people, as you, as you, I, I don't know what it is, Tiffany, but yeah, I'm sure there, there is one. And I know there are a lot of, you know, former liberal, disaffected liberal moms that are part of your organization. Um, I, I, people are sheep for the most part, as Daniel says, oftentimes, and they will follow where the people go. And so if enough moms like me and dads like Daniel continue, they're going to have a different issue. Maybe it wasn't masking for them. Maybe it's some other thing in the schools that's happening. Maybe they just want to be allowed in the kid's school to do whatever. There, it, everybody, it, it, the dam will break at some point. The gender right? stuff it, is, the gender stuff, I think they, the K through three gender and stuff is, is bringing parents together K, past party The K lines. through three gender stuff, the, the fact that the teachers can socially transition children in school. I mean, there was a good piece in the Times yesterday. They can socially transition children in school without telling the parents. I mean, they can't give them an aspirin without telling the parents. This is insane. And it it will move. I mean, I found that the piece yesterday in the New York Times was very sympathetic. All the parents self-identified as liberal and they were mad. Their kids had been socially transitioned in schools. They weren't told and they were angry. It's a drip drip, but eventually there's going to be the stalwarts, right? There's going to be 10 to 20% of people that no matter what are never going to kind of join the fight. But most people, they go with the flow and they want to be in the group. And so it takes people like us going first and eventually it kind of moves. I do think there's a line. I, I I have to believe there's a line. I, I don't know what it is and I'm waiting for it. But look, it happens. You know, again, I'll use the example from gymnastics. I was the most evil, horrible person the sport had ever seen because I dared to criticize Olympic coaches. How dare I? 
It was pre right. me too. You did not have to believe all women. You did. In fact, you, you, you dragged them through the mud. If they said, you know, this coach assaulted me 10 years later, all of those people pretended they always supported me. Jennifer, remind us of the name, to remind us of the name of the, and I don't have it, of your documentary, because I did watch it and please share a little bit about that, because I do think it's an amazing documentary to share. Yeah, it's called Athlete A, and um, it is about uh, Larry Nasser, who was the doctor for 30 years for Team USA Gymnastics, and he um, sexually assaulted over 500 athletes under the guise of medical treatment. But it's not just about him. It's not just an expose about him. It really is about the broader culture of abuse and how, in a sense, in this incredibly abusive culture, he's the inevitable outcome. Because the leaders in the sport covered for him. They knew it was happening for at least two decades. Um, and I would argue, the- Jennifer, that what we've seen happen in the schools and a lot of the cover-up of the abuse that we've seen has been because of the teachers' unions covering for the teachers who they should be standing up and saying, this is not acceptable. You may not treat people like that, but the unions come and they defend. And I had a teacher who hit a student in in school um, and uh, I, we, I worked to hold them accountable when I was a school board member because it was unacceptable for a teacher to hit a oh, student. We had evidence of, of it, course. right? And, and it was awful. And then, the, but the teacher's union took up for that teacher. And then another couple months later, another incident happened with another teacher and they came to me and they said, okay, but this teacher, this one really is a good one. And I said, how do I believe you when you covered for the other one? How can we trust you when you just ignore bad behavior. So that culture persists, right? And children always seem to be the ones who get hurt. They do. And I, you know, look, I think we're a long way from a full reckoning, um, but it, it, it will, it, I, I do, maybe I'm just too joyful and optimistic. I do believe that it, it will, it will happen. The unions are not as strong. People like me are radicalized for school choice, whereas I didn't really think about it very much in the past. I'd always sent my kids to public school. I was pro-public education, um, but I didn't really think much about it. I sort of believed the left-wing line about why school choice was bad and it took money from the public schools, but I didn't think about it that much. The unions are, are weakened here. School choice is on the rise. This is parents voting with their feet and they're saying what they want. They're saying they want to be involved. Now, is it going to happen all of a sudden overnight? No, it's going to happen slowly and then all at once because right. parents are not going to hand their children over to the state. They're not going to do it. No, you're I, absolutely I, right. I'm optimistic I, I think I think we are winning the fight, but not because a, a line was crossed. It's because people like us have been activated. As Jen says, the majority of people are sheep. It's a small number of people, I think, that will make a difference. Not yeah, but we need the large, big sheep. We need the, sheep the, we need the masses. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. will get them. I, let, let me make another point that might inspire some listeners um, that might not realize this. I lived out of the United States for a long time, for many years. People don't realize how unique and special America is and how the world watches us. There's no homeschooling in Europe. Every child has to go to a state school. Italy, the government just sets a curriculum for the whole country. France, they set it for the whole country. Everyone goes and has the same curriculum. You cannot say, I don't want my children to go to school. We have a lot of other things like that. The world is watching us. We need to lead it. This is a global problem. 
children around the world. Some of them suffered worse than in America. In Spain, as I recall, for example, the children were literally not allowed to leave their homes for periods of time. There was severe, we, severe punishment. No one cared about the children. Um, and so the idea of parental rights, and, and which is part of individual rights, and as an assertion of freedom as opposed to state power, that's what America has represented on planet Earth for 250 years. And it's, we've led the world in World War II in the fought for freedom. We led the world in the Cold War in the fight for freedom. We need to lead the world in the fight for biomedical freedom now. There is no one else. It's just us. And that's why, frankly, it's Republicans in America who forever, whatever reason, distrust the government, who don't follow orders, who don't believe in state schools. Those people right now are mostly Republicans. And that's what I think we need to expand the tent and have that's people right. realize that that's an yes. American value. We'll not be, a Republic. The Democrats, sorry, the Democrats betrayed American values. Yeah. They betrayed values of the left and they betrayed values of America. It's a, it's a horrible, evil party that needs to be destroyed. Well, they betrayed the values of their voters. They really yes. did. Oh, I, yes. I, they, but I, I then believe. the voters went along because they yeah. deployed a strategy, which was to vilify you and call you all these horrible, unemployable names, like you're racist and you're this and you're that. And let's be clear, you know, all the employees at Levi's watched this happening to me. It was done very publicly. Oh, yeah. We had virtual Struggle town session. halls in the chats. It would say like, you know, Jen is a racist, Chip. CEO, can you comment on this? Um, I was asked publicly, are you with us or against us? Are you on our team? Are you a conspiracy theorist? Are you aware of how racist you are? Like I was grilled publicly for saying schools should open. Now, the, 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 it was very clear after six months, I was not going to stop. I was very clear about that. I was very calm. I said it. I said it again. I didn't get angry. I just kept saying it. It sure as heck kept everybody else quiet. Anyone who yeah. might have agreed with me was like, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. But yep. you have to. And, you know, the story I always tell, which I think is, you know, Daniel probably thinks is boring because I tell it all the time. But the day after I quit very publicly in February, the very next day, three school board members were recalled in the city yes. of San Francisco for failing to open schools. By a margin, it was like 70 to 75% of the people that showed up to vote recalled. That's crushing. That's a crushing margin. All those people agreed with me. They said yeah. it at the ballot box, but they wouldn't say it in real life. And so that's why I say to people just every day, do one small thing. And Daniel's right. You got to get it right in your head first, right? Every time I got a call, I would have to take a breath and prepare myself to stand my ground and to yeah. do it in my way, not to yell, to be calm. But I, it, you, you got to find a way to do it because if, if those 75% of parents that showed up to vote had come to our rallies and had showed up at school board meetings oh. and had said, this is not okay, we would have had a different conversation and you can damn well believe the schools would have opened before 18 months in. I absolutely right? agree. I mean, it would have been a game changer. And so you mentioned the team thing. I laugh when I, uh, after my time on school board, I went to go visit my son at his school. He was struggling with uh, the forced masking and there were supposed to be accommodations made in the classroom and they were refusing to do that because of space. And I said, I want to come in and see the classroom. You said we could come in and see the environment. I want to try to figure out where would be a good place for him to be so that he could take his mask off while he's learning. Um, he has uh, attention deficit disorder and it was, it, it was really damaging to him. Um, 
He said, it, he used to tell me all the time, I feel like I can't hear, I can't see, I can't breathe. And I was taken, I was, I was vilified. I was followed by a police officer that whole day. Like I hadn't just served in elected office for four years with a complete background check and visited classrooms all over the entire community <laughs> for four years. Um, and I was brought into a storage closet by the deputy superintendent of my school district with the principal, who was a woman. There was a police officer outside. And he said to me, I thought you were on our team. That's what he said, because I had been a school board member. I thought you were on our team. And I just remember looking at him and saying, I, oh, I must have forgotten my jersey. Did you guys give me a jersey when I left that I had to just agree with everything on your team? Right. You're talking about my kid. There aren't teams. There's me and my kid and everybody yeah. else at this point, right? So to your point, that was the struggle session. I mean, Mao's yeah. cultural revolution, what, they, yeah. what Mao did during the cultural revolution yeah. in China with the reds and the blacks right. and good things and bad things and the virtue signaling. And, and, there, and now I, you know, Moms for Liberty, we get concerned because we do feel that there is a real wedge being driven between the parent and the child in the public schools. Yeah. And we're seeing that happen. And it's just a continuation. And God forbid you speak up as a parent, because as you experienced, they'll push you through the struggle session. They drag you. They will. They will. Yeah. And I, th I think, you know, one of the other things that you have to do, because you're right, parental rights, you and Daniel are both, that is nonpartisan. We all care about our kids and we, you know, have embraced parenting and we want to help our kids become the best human they can be, which sometimes means staying out of the way. And it sometimes means leaning in and getting very involved. And so part of what you have to do, because the name calling is a strategy and it is the strategy of those with no argument. Right. They yes. won't engage you on the merits. So they call you a name to try to shut you up. And, and one of the things you need to do is reject it. You have to just reject it, because if a if a if a parental rights movement is billed as not just Republican, but like alt right QAnon lunatic, you know, crazy right. town, then no one wants to join. But that right. but it's not that that is a lie. And I'd be happy to stand with you any day of the week. We, you know, we come from different, whatever, we're the same. We want to be involved in our kids' education and in their life and, and help them make good decisions. And so part of it is rejecting the, the names. And, and that was kind of what I had to do in kind of screwing up my, because the names at first were so alarming that I was being called. I was like, what? And it doesn't matter. The arc of your life doesn't matter. The things nope. you've done in your life, they'll call you anything. Yeah. Um, but in, 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 and Daniel would say to me, why are you upset about this? They're morons, <laughs> but it's upsetting when you stand in front of a thousand people in a company and someone calls you that, that is, that's upsetting. Like, there's no way around it. It's just upsetting. But at a certain point you do just reject it. And I got to the point where I could almost laugh about it because I was well, like, it's ridiculous. It's, it's just so it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. They call Jewish people anti-Semitic. They call, Us. you know, you have, you, yeah, they have, right. Me, and they have, um, you know, you have, you said two children who are mixed race, they are calling you a racist or, uh, you know, you, you, you dare to speak out and say, please don't teach my kindergartner about, you know, gender ideology. And all of a sudden you're a transphobe or you don't accept, you know, gay people. And that's ridiculous. That, that is not the conversation that we're having, but the media and 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 the and the far left, I think, have really worked to villainize people so that they can try to marginalize your impact um, because they know Agreed. we're gaining ground. So the last thing I want to talk to you guys about is the future. Um, I, Daniel, like you, have given some thought to how this has impacted the kids. I know you have, Jennifer. I, I posted something the other day. I think about what this generation of children are going to think when they get older. 
when they have their own children? Um, what will they, how will they feel about our generation, the people that did lock them down, that did force to mask them, um, that did suggest that perhaps they were born in the wrong body or, or went along with medicalization of, of children. And, and so, you know, that's concerning uh, because I, I think that they probably have uh, some pretty bad ideas about adults that need to be handled in some degree or we need to help them through. Um, I also think a lot about history and how history will record, how this will be recorded um, in our in our lives and in our future and how our, our children's children um, will think about this time and be taught about this time. So I know, Jennifer, you're making the documentary. I'm sure that's an important part of, of really making sure that real history is taught, but just some thoughts about the future, where we go from here. You want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I was talking about the film a little bit. I, I, I want a record of what yeah. happened to children. I want a record of what they have experienced, the ongoing harms they continue to experience, and why it happened. Because they're trying to memory hole it already. You know, the most we get, as you know, Tiffany, is, okay, maybe closing schools for that long, you know, wasn't the best thing. But no one, you know, it was the best we could do in an uncertain time. And, you know, no one needs to be held accountable. And no one made the decision. It was COVID. No. People made terrible leaders made terrible decisions that disregarded the health and well-being of children entirely. Yes. And so crimes against I children. want I want that documented. They cannot get away with this. <laughs> they cannot get away with this. And I would like and I believe in the power of film. Athlete A started a revolution in the sport of gymnastics and the Olympic movement more broadly with athletes demanding change. I believe that film and art have has the power to inspire and move hearts and minds. I want, it's not the people who are always on our side that I want watching this. I want the people who stayed quiet, who maybe questioned it, but didn't say anything or the people who were for it, but then realized it was harming their child. Like I, I want to start to bring some of the 50, 60% silent questioners over um, because this can never happen again. And in order for it not to happen again, the people who made these decisions cannot be excused and they need to be held accountable because they will do it again. So, you know, I'm not stopping and I know Daniel isn't either until there's accountability. Yeah. First, before I say anything else, I'd like to encourage everyone to go buy Jen's new book, Levi's Unbuttoned. It deals with a lot of these issues and it's a great read. Um, as, to the, as to the future. You're a good husband. I, He's a good try. editor too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Um, yeah. I think how we look back on this in the future is going to depend on what happens in the next few years. Yeah. Um, as I said before, I, I think this is a once in a generation struggle where we're going to decide how human beings relate to our governments for the next 50 or so years. Technology has changed. And what happens in the next few years is going to determine it. Uh, frankly, I'm not, I'm a little disappointed with some of the younger generation. I feel sorry for the university students. But also, what's wrong with them? If I'd been in college and they told me to do any of this, I would have said, F off. Who are you? Right. I hope I die before I get old. Don't trust anyone over 30. What, what happened to all that stuff? It's built in 19-year-olds to reject authority figures. I'm very, very concerned. The university students were unbelievably passive. They followed all the instructions. There were no protests from university students, nothing. And so I am very, very concerned. 
They're, then they had these few years. They're going in the workforce now. They're going to be super woke, tyrannical leaders. A lot of them, if you ask them, would you rather have freedom or safety? They'll say safety. Would yeah. you rather be right or be in the majority? I'd rather be in the majority. They won't they don't, say that. They still they do. Think they're, they say it, a lot of them. They a lot still of think people, they're the resistance, which I'm like, what are you resisting? You go fascism, along with everything. Jen, they're <laughs> resisting fascism. They're resisting Trumpers. Well, they they've had it, Daniel, to that point, they've been in our public schools for the past 10 exactly. years. I mean, so exactly. we have to be honest about some of this ideology that has come into our public school system that has created a generation of sheep who think that they're you. against something that doesn't exist and, and really don't know what they're for. Right. And so to your point about America and these being American, found, these are foundational principles. We say at Moms for Liberty, every generation uh, faces a fight for liberty. Welcome yes. to ours. Right. Um, I agree. This is, yeah, absolutely. This is our fight. And, and, and so but to your point, you're right. I mean, a lot of the young people, I have a friend, Bill Borg Chris, who brings up a lot of uh, you know information about gender ideology. He stands on the street. He goes to colleges and he'll tell me it's, it's really uh, women between the ages of 18 to 22 who are the most aggressive against him. And he's always like, what are you standing up for? Like, for? you know, yeah, they, but they don't really, they really don't know. And, and, and so we've got to they do a better know. job of that. We they need to know. all and try. Yeah. They think it makes me crazy. These people of the left, my sort of former cohort there with their hashtag resist and we are the resistance. Like they've never resisted anything the in their lives. They literally don't even know anyone that disagrees with them. And if you do even a little bit like me, they just oust you. And, you know, could, so who are you resisting when every single person you've ever met that you hang out with agrees with you a thousand percent? The press echoes your sentiments. But I will tell you this. I don't know how common sense and like the, the truth will break through. It, it, there's cracks though, right? There's cracks yeah. in the, in the edifice. And at, at a certain point it will, you know, I would tell you, I, I have been writing a lot about woke capitalism. I'll tell you what's going to make it break through there. And if it changes in America's, you know, companies, if they're not making money, they're That's not going to do this anymore. And it's right. starting to crumble. There's been just a few examples over the, the last few weeks alone, you know, on top of Sam Bankman Freed, which is the sort of most egregious example with FTX of, you know, taking woke stances and avoiding scrutiny. The company, oh, the other big one is JP Morgan just got scammed by some 25 year old who sold them a line of bullshit. They're not going to do it anymore if they don't make money. And if it changes there, that's a huge then change. That, that is a huge change because all of these messages are getting reinforced in advertising. Like, think about the exposures we get to all of these messages through advertising. That's a chip. That's a chink in the armor. That's a crack if they stop doing it. M&Ms, did you see they just pulled back on their non-binary M&M? Did you see that? <laughs> Which was so silly. Anyway, it's a candy. Let's just have it be candy. Yeah. And that's the way that, and, well, I mean, I don't disagree with you. James Lindsay says all the time, how do you stop this? You just don't do it. You just don't go along with it. Yes. That's how you stop that's it. Right? right? So you and guys have two. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was go just going to say, everyone, it's also, it doesn't have to be aggressive action. The personal is political. Right. To circle back to your question that's about right. dads, um, I, am a, I like identifying myself as a stay-at-home dad because I'm not gay. I'm heterosexual. <laughs> I, I'm very nurturing. I like spending time with children. I do the dishes. Jen is the worker. 
I don't need to have a gender reassignment surgery. I can be a man and take care of children. And I think we need the people to stand up and say things like that. Men can do all sorts of things and women can do all sorts of things too. There's two genders and everyone can do whatever they want and just call out. It's the insanity. People just look at it and say, okay, everyone needs to just in their little bit in their mind and in their lives live with integrity. I mean, even... I, me probably more than Daniel, like, and, and I, I have a certain sort of like, okay, if I'm going to be efficient and effective, I have to stick to certain things that I talk about. But I'll be honest, there have been things even I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm a little scared to touch that one. Or I mean, I don't know why I would be scared of anything. I mean, I, I'm unemployed, I have no job and no prospects. So I don't, there's not really anything to be afraid of. But, it, you know, there some of these things, they're real third rails. But yeah, and it's hard to talk about. You do. So you, can't you guys accept still a have, lie. Basically. No, we, and we stand for truth. One of our values yes. at Moms for Liberty, we have yes. three core values, and we stand for truth. We empower others, and we stand for truth. Um, the last question for you both: You have two still children under ten, two young children, right? You are four more liberal Democrats from San Francisco now, kind of finding a new way forward. Um, you're raising kids. We talk a lot about creating agency in kids, telling kids the truth and giving them information. Can you give us some insight into how you're preparing your children to live in this world where I truth is constantly anecdote. being questioned? I'll go I'm first sorry? with a quick anecdote. Okay. I have a quick anecdote because I meant to say it first and I forgot. It's very difficult to stand out and have a different opinion or look different than others, but it's something you need to practice. For example... My son, when he played basketball and we moved to Denver, there was a mask mandate on the basketball court. He didn't wear a mask. It's Denver. In San Francisco, they would have made him put him on. This is what we love about Denver. No one made him put it on. I don't know if they assumed he had an exemption or it's not their business. It's still not so easy. He was the only one without a mask. Everyone looks at him and sees him. A lot of kids won't do it. I've talked to a lot of parents. They encourage their kids when they don't even have to wear a mask. They're like, no, everyone else is wearing one. We taught our kids to wear them off even when they have to. I said, you should never wear a mask unless an adult puts it on you and says, you must wear it now. Wait till an adult. Kids told him to put it on and I told him to say, no, masks don't work. I'm not wearing them. That's the sort of thing we have to do. That's how they learn agency. Then he knows when he goes out there, he doesn't have to do what everyone else is doing. I think that penetrates deep inside them. And so many parents told the kids the opposite. Wear a mask so other people feel comfortable. That's what they trained their kids to do. What a terrible lesson. No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, so you tell your kids, don't be afraid to stand up, stand your ground. Correct. And And when I think you do that from an early age, I do think it becomes Train a part them. of who yeah. they are, right? And they're watching you. You're modeling doing that for them right. in a peaceful and calm way, which I think is really important. Any advice for, from you, Jennifer, for parents? That no, are- I was going to say with our youngest, our daughter, we don't actually have to get her to train or practice at this. She just does it automatically, which is can be very annoying. In she the has child- my personality. Yeah, she has Daniel's <laughs> personality. And I have to sort of like get real zen sometimes and go like, okay, this is really good. She will cut off her nose despite her face to, to, to not have to listen to an authority figure tell her what to do, including both me and Daniel. But I think in girls in particular who are trained very much to be sort of still, you know, quiet and fairly obedient. And, you know, I certainly experienced that as a, as a young gymnast, it, it's to be 
commended and nurtured. And it will be annoying sometimes as a parent, but I think it will be worth it in the end because she will be fine always saying what she thinks, standing apart. And, you know, she's got to hone the skill. It's really rough right now. (laughs) Well, she's um, young still. I mean, you know, to be fair, she's sick. So, yeah. You You don't actually know best, Ruth. You don't actually know. I think we'll end there. I just have enjoyed speaking to both of you. I'm so proud to have been in this fight with you guys. And I do think we're making progress across the country. I do think we're fighting for the survival of America in many ways. And I agree that the next few years are going to be incredibly important. And so I just say swords up. We are going to take our country back and we're going to do it because of brave men and women like you. So thank you again for joining me today. 